Good afternoon and welcome to Midday Moms. This is Dorothy Polarski and I'd like to welcome each and every one of you as you sign on to our uh, remarkable Midday Mom session today. We've got a really amazing guest. Uh, Teresa, do you want to say a quick hello before I go on about yes. Cypria? So yes, hello everyone. I'm so happy to be here with you. Some of you may have been on when I was on before. We did family of origin. Now we're going to move a little ahead to how we do some things with our family. So I'm excited to be here and uh, hope to be with you again. Yeah, so I want to again welcome Teresa and I want to welcome those of you that are signing on. And, you know, I always feel better when people sign on and in the chat they say hello. Oh, Tina Schmidt, a hearty hello from the Midwest. Yay! Amanda Panda, hello from Scarborough. Yay! I love Scarborough. Thank you for joining us. Um, I've got some really exciting news. It's so exciting. I almost fell off my chair. Huh? We're, we're going to be having a mother's group starting in um, in Wales, in Europe. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Did yeah. you tell them you'd go over to help start it up? gotta make the trip and then we also have one starting um in indiana in waterloo indiana and then one at blessed trinity in the archdiocese of toronto so we're 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 bursting at the seams uh growing so thank you for helping us get the word out um hello jessica from toronto Hello, Eveline from Florida. So I'm really excited. Oh, that, Florida. We yeah, like we, we Florida. got Florida. <laughs> we've got the Midwest. We've got Scarborough. We've got Nelsie as one of our mother's group leaders, actually in the Diocese of Hamilton. Um, Nelsie just had her very first virtual meetup. Congratulations, Nelsie. You there you go. And Peggy's asked me if I have a brother, Mike, who's taught in Dufferville. That's my husband's cousin, actually. Ah, there you go. So hi, Peggy. Great to see you. Roseanne from uh, Our Lady of Peace. So just a big, big warm welcome and just a especially warm welcome for those of you that are maybe joining us for the very first time. And so, um, you know, if you want to learn more about our ministry, I ask you to visit our website. Uh, we say it's three words, catholicmomsgroup.com catholicmomsgroup.com we're faith partners with the archdiocese of toronto and we're also now working in partnership with um, the diocese of hamilton we have several mothers groups there and uh, it looks like we're gonna have a couple in uh, saint catherine's diocese as well i wanted to give one of our one of our one of the moms that has regularly come to the Dynamic Women of Faith Conference, and she regularly, um, you know, has joined us on Midday Moms. I'm not going to mention her name, but she knew that her diocese, and I'm not going to tell you any details, but she knew that her diocese was struggling, and she really believes in our ministry. And she recently made a $2,500 donation to her diocese, so her diocese could start mother's groups okay and I, I almost fainted because like sometimes I wonder are we helping anybody and then when something like that happens so of course that mom will get you know a tax deduction from her diocese for making that donation so if you're feeling generous and you think your diocese should start one of these groups 
Pull out Especially your Especially for Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. Especially for Hamilton. Send money to Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, please do send money to So anyway, so we're faith partners with the Archdiocese of Toronto. We're on a mission to revive the vocation of motherhood. And we do so primarily by helping parishes start Catholic moms groups. I'm going to share with you um, just a very short promotional video that we have. Uh, some of you have seen it several times. I, I hope the 20th time you see it, you're going to say, dang, I'm going to start one. Finally, this Polarski's worn me down. Uh, so yeah, so if you visit our website, you'll see that we can help you start one of three types of groups uh, for moms only, for mothers and tots, or virtual groups. All of our materials are available in our portal. Plus, we send a Mother's Group Starter Kit when you join with us. And here's our video. Mothers, by our very nature, we are nurturing, loving caregivers. We are social beings made for friendship and community. We are also spiritual by nature, made by a loving God to know him and love him, and to pass this love of our Catholic faith on to our children. But right now, many mothers feel overextended, distracted, and exhausted. Though as Catholics, we have the community of our church, many mothers attending mass could not name the mom sitting next to them in the pew they share. Community and support among Catholic mothers is desperately needed in this hectic and chaotic culture. Your parish needs you to bring these moms together. Hi, my name is Dorothy Polarski. I'm the founder of Catholic Moms Group. We at Catholic Moms Group are on a mission to revive the vocation of motherhood. We exist to bring together like-minded, faith-filled mothers who crave community and are focused on spiritual growth, Catholic teaching, and fellowship. Can you imagine a thriving, engaged mothers group at your parish? A group of moms in love with their Catholic faith, ready to serve other mothers no matter what stage of motherhood they're at? Can you imagine what a difference that would make at your parish? Starting a mothers group, it's not rocket science. But working with a team who's done it before and who's done it dozens and dozens of times sure does help. The Catholic Moms Group membership site is an online community that offers training, resources, and dozens of tools for parishes to help them start a mother's group quickly and efficiently. We're here to provide you with a clear path to launching a Catholic Moms Group at your parish. All of our materials are 100% Catholic. We have clearly laid out meetup plans for both moms groups and toddler groups. We are obedient to the magisterium of the Catholic Church. We have created dozens of tools that are going to save you time and energy. And besides that, we love our Blessed Mother. We constantly turn to her for her intercession. You can make a huge impact in your parish, so join us. We are revolutionizing the way parishes start mothers' groups by providing parishes with a Catholic mothers' group starter kit. 
and by nourishing and training a community of Catholic mothers group leaders across the world. It's time to start a mothers group at your parish. Join us today. If um, any of you would like to start a mom's group, let us know. But in the meantime, I want to introduce a little bit more formally Teresa. Teresa Hartnett is in her 18th year as Director of Family Ministry for the Diocese of Hamilton. She has her Master's in Religious Education from St. Augustine Seminary, University of Toronto, a degree in Kinesiology from McMaster University, a Bachelor of Education from Brock University and is certified in a number of family counseling, marriage and relationship programs. She has been the Executive Director of Earthright Pregnancy Service in Hamilton for 32 years. And in 2004, she implemented and now oversees Project Rachel in the Hamilton Diocese. She is passionate about helping individuals, couples, and families grow into strong, healthy, and happy in both how they live and in their Catholic faith. Teresa undertakes numerous speaking engagements across Ontario and Canada each year, and she teaches for both St. Peter's Seminary and the Halton Catholic School Board Staff Religion courses. It is a great honor and my privilege to welcome Teresa Hartnett, who's got a heart of gold for moms to share this wonderful, wonderful talk on drawing your family together one meal at a time. Thank you so much for joining us and thank you for launching the mom's ministry in the Diocese of Hamilton. I think that one day we're going to have to put that in your, yeah. in your bio. Uh, yes, that's right. As a, as well, you launched it. I only just came alongside to push it a little bit. I'm, yeah. I'm very happy and particular I'm happy that we managed to finally we've been talking for a while to get it going in this year of a more Laetitia family that uh, Pope Francis has called uh it's a time to look at families to see what we're doing so I'm going to start into my piece very quickly because I got a lot as always to say and wants to share with you uh but I do want to say to all the moms who are there and I think you know this but it's good to be reaffirmed nothing is as valuable as motherhood uh, nothing we do, nothing we leave behind will matter as much as the children we leave behind. And that's our legacy to the world. And having lost my own mother 13 years ago, uh, I still remember the day we stood in her driveway after emptying out the house. My dad had previously passed away. Uh, my four siblings and I and our spouses, uh, we had finished the, that last part of emptying the house and we stood there and I realized in that moment, it wasn't the house, it wasn't the stuff, although some of that was nice and we kept some of it. What my mom and dad were leaving were us and their 15 grandchildren who are now expanding into many uh, great grandchildren. So uh, our legacies really matter and it matters to the world and it matters to God. So I'm gonna get started. I'm gonna share my screen and pull up my PowerPoint here so that we can uh, make it through. Oops, didn't quite get it there. Uh, so 
we're drawing families together one meal at a time and we all eat. That's one thing we do for sure. And the other thing we know for sure is that in social environments, we often share food. If we're not going to have a meal together, we're putting out snacks or something because food is that sort of common denominator. It draws us together. It makes us feel comfortable. It makes us feel welcomed. Uh, and so it would be, it would make sense, of course, that we would share a mealtime as a family. But in the world today, we have begun to, uh, not begun, we are in the midst of a whirlwind and COVID I think has allowed us to step back and many families are recognizing that the time of COVID while some uh, things were you know, uncertain and uh, disconcerting, we did have time as a family. And some parents have even said, I didn't know how little I knew about my kids until I had to spend so much time with them. So COVID has reminded us of the importance of being together as a family for a meal. So first and foremost, we look at the church and I like to put things up so you can read it. We know that the, the church is deeply rooted in family. And I think we cannot uh, look aside as to why Jesus came. He came to atone for original sin. We know that dying on the cross. But first and foremost, he came and was born into a family. We know that he could have come anytime, any place, anywhere, but he came into a family. And as, as I've got that point there, the other part of it is, is nothing that happened in Jesus' lifetime, nothing he did, nothing he said wasn't a lesson to us uh, in teaching us how to live. That was his other purpose for coming, to die on the cross so that we could have eternity, of course, but also to be the final prophet. And now we have it all. We know how we're supposed to live. We just have to do it. He spent 30 years in the family and three years in ministry. We sometimes just skip that 30 years. We start into where he started, but there's a clear message, the vital importance of family, because in his family, he learned his traditions, his faith, his respect, his obligation, and probably a living because he would have been taught by Joseph how to be a carpenter. So his time in the family set him up in a sense as he moved on into his ministry work. And that's what we do for our children. We provide our children with that foundation and base for moving into their vocation, whatever that vocation is, from a Catholic perspective, whatever we do in life is part of our ministry. Uh, we are formed in the womb with a purpose. In Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I have a purpose for you. I have a role for you. Uh, last night, I did a presentation on unplanned. It's the story of Abby Johnson, who left Planned Parenthood uh, to promote uh, pro-life. Uh, she realized that what was happening was not right. Uh, and in that movie, uh, the we showed a clip of uh, just sort of behind the scenes, not the movie itself, before I, I gave a little presentation. And the actress who plays, her name's Ashley, I'm forgetting her last name. In any case, she uh, ended up playing the part of Abby Johnson in the movie. She was selected literally days before they started uh, shooting the film. She was told by people, don't take the job because you'll never work in the industry again. Uh, and she felt this calling. She felt that this was where she was supposed to be. So she accepted the, uh, the um, opportunity to play Abby Johnson. And on her first day on film, her mother called her. She'd had a rocky relationship growing up with her family and her mother and still in a way did, she said. She knew that her mother had had an abortion before she was born. 
but her mother phoned her and was sobbing on the phone and said, you don't know this, but I was at an abortion clinic. I was going to abort you, but something made me walk out. So if you don't understand that there are purpose to every human being, that purpose for her to come and be Abby Johnson with that background was begun before her mother knew her in the womb. Uh, God had a purpose. So our children have purpose and family mealtime can help strengthen and bond with them so that they can feel strong enough to move forward in their vocations and what their call is. This is the year of the family for a more, a more Satichia family. The document that Pope Francis wrote, much of that document in many ways is based on this document written by St. John Paul II, Pope at the time, Familiaris Consortia. And the um, Amoris Laetitia isn't quite so defined, laid out so easily. So I'm going back to this one uh, to, to just remind us of the four general tasks of the family from the perspective of the church, to form a community of persons. And that's what we can do at the family table when we share time together at other times to bring uh, our family together. It's the first place that children learn how to be social, how to be active, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so it, we, we bond in that community of persons. And then to serve life, both by bringing life into the world because God entrusted his most precious creation, human beings to us to recreate time over time over time, uh, but also to serve life in the sense of raising children, educating children, uh, bringing them into the world and understanding of the next piece, which is to participate in society's development. This is what families do. And by having a strong bond, a strong a family unit, a foundation that's strong, we can as a family participate, but we can also encourage our children to participate in that development. And then to share in the life and mission of the church. Four tasks, reasonably simple to read, reasonably complex to undertake when you're in your family living. But we know that those four tasks are what we're called to as family. They also strengthen our children and strengthen our own families. And so it's a benefit both to the church and to our families. So knowing that, where does that leave us? I think it leaves us to understand that the power of family existed from the beginning. Adam and Eve created life, a family began. Right from the start, it was God's intent that we would continue to create families for him. And know that, I don't have time to go into all the research, but there, there's much research that identifies uh, the impact of families on individuals and therefore society. If you were on last time when I talked about family of origin, we talked a little more about some of that impact, uh, but vitally important for us to understand these years that our children are with us matter in for their entire future. From birth right through, uh, we continue to worry about them. My kids are growing now, but um, somebody told them the other day that uh, a friend of theirs had said to them, a mother is only as happy as um, her child with the least, most problems. So you look at your children's problems, that's what makes you happy. The more problems they have, the less happy you are. We're always mothers, but as they grow older, they become independent and we have to let them have that kind of thought and free thought and free action, uh, whether we, we approve or not. And then to understand, as the bottom one says, that we're called to see our families as an essential component. We're called to see our role as mothers and fathers as a vocation. We're called to understand that we are part of the creative plan, uh, that if we do not uh, create 
those strong bonds between spouse and between children and set that foundation, then we won't have a solid future as we move forward. And I think all of us are aware that there's a lot of cracks starting to happen, have happened already in society, partially because we're losing that connectiveness uh, and we've got to regain it. And so today, in a way, is a little bit about regaining that. So just a brief thing about how families you know, can influence children. We know that children want to be connected to their families. They see families as a vital part of their, their lives. And yet, as an interesting, any of you who are dealing with teenagers, uh, sort of uh, as they age, it gets harder and harder. They're all, oh, no, they want to go with friends. No, they want to watch a movie with you. They kind of resist. But the studies show that inside, they actually want that. And so we have to find ways to encourage them to be. Maybe we have pizza on Friday night so that everybody can watch a movie together. We play a board game that people like. So children and youth want their families to be involved, even if they're not reaching out to you. Uh, and until nine, somewhere between nine and 12, when the frontal cortex starts its real development, um, children sort of take in their world in totality uh, and family is the greatest influence. So those first nine to 12 years, basically they know the world through you. Their beliefs are what your beliefs are, the way they do things are the way you are. And then as they begin to move out of that uh, part of their childhood, they begin to see other families and take in other influences. So we want a strong foundation to be part of who they are so that as they naturally and should move into the world, if you will, our influence is strong within them. Uh, and as I said, even teens identify parents as their most influential person in their lives. You heard at the beginning that I teach a course for uh, the Halton School Board, Ethics and Morality, the section of their religion. They have part one, part two, and part three. And I teach the Ethics and Morality section. And their teachers who are now teaching, often in their first few years, because they have to take the religion, at least part one in those first uh, two years that they teach for the board. And over and over again in their reflections that they're writing for me in their assignments, they talk about the power of their parents and grandparents in their faith lives and how many of them are just in their age now in their sort of mid to later 20s. They're coming back to that foundation that maybe they strayed for a few years, but they're starting to see the importance. So we can't underestimate uh, the power of giving that solid foundation I can have for them. So. Our children want these things from us. They want quality time. They want quantity, but they want quality as well. It's not good enough to just to be together. They want us to interact and engage. They want time to share their thoughts, their ideas, their questions, their feelings. And sometimes we in the rush of life don't do that. And in the social media world that we're in now, uh, not just social media, but media. So we there's often a TV on all the time. Somebody's on the internet, the phone, the tablet. And so in that world, we've lost that connecting that not only do children want, but they absolutely need. And so parents need to be leaders and models. We need to put away our phone, turn off the TV, not be on the tablet and engage eye to eye. We need to encourage this kind of connectedness. And I'm gonna give you some hints today around the family, but there's other ways you can do it. Go for walks, drive in the car, uh, find a way. Uh, and the good news and the bad news about anybody who has, my husband babysits four of my grandchildren. So last summer when his, uh, my daughter-in-law was going back to work after being off, we had to buy a van because you can't drive three 
four kids in a car anymore. So we bought a van and the van had, you know, the screen comes down and they can watch a DVD when you're driving somewhere. And immediately they asked, can you put on a DVD? No, nope, we're going to chat. You know, we have to be leaders and models. We have to be the ones to set that, not them. And let, let them pout for at first. They'll get used to it. I guarantee they'll never ask anymore uh, because it's the answer has been no enough that they just, it's forgotten. So Saint again, John Paul II said this, as the family goes, so goes the nation and so goes the whole world in which we live. This is a powerful statement. As the family goes, we are in charge of our families. We set the tone for our families. We decide what our children will hear, read, watch, all of those things. And that then sets the tone for where they go as they get older. So it sets for the nation and the nation sets for the world. So we do and are a powerful influence, even sometimes when we think maybe we're not. So, uh, you know, how do we then, uh, how do we uh, create a strong family, a bond for a strong family? Uh, that's what we're really looking at. So I'm proposing to you that it's by sharing a meal. Uh, and I think this is a great picture. I always use this picture because I just think this is what kids would consider a meal. And sometimes it's okay to have a meal. This is just a fun meal, you know. Uh, most times we're looking for nutrition, but once in a while we can throw them off. As they say, start with dessert and it'll throw your kids off completely. Uh, so sharing a meal is a great way because when we share a meal, usually when we eat and, and we hope this is how we eat, we sit down and eat. We sit down at a table, we sit down at your island, we sit down together uh, and we can share things at that time. And so why, why? We would do it to solve the problem of feeling disconnected as a family. So many families are on the run. We've been convinced that our kids need to be in uh, social activities, academic activities, uh, you know, moving activities, so physical activities. And if they don't, they won't be the people they're supposed to be and they won't become the adults they're supposed to be and they won't become successful in life. And so many experts now are saying families pull back. Children should not be scheduled to do everything. What matters more is a security within themselves. And that's what they get from being with their family. So when we're on the run, when they come in from school, we're grabbing something to eat in the car, you're going there and I'm going here, we're going everywhere, we become disconnected. And COVID did teach us that, as I said to you, many families, in fact, when they ask 50% of families now, I wish it was more, but 50% say they won't go back to the busyness that they had before. Uh, they're going to sort of readjust because if our children are going to be successful, they'll be successful without being in a hundred activities and they'll be more successful if they don't feel anxious and they don't feel overrun and they know how to be resilient, which is what we can teach them. And so when we feel disconnected, there's that sense of drifting from each other that we're not even sure. You know, one of the questions was at a conference and a speaker said, if you don't know your child's favorite color, favorite show and favorite food, you're really disconnected and you need to, you need to, you need to get, uh, spend time together. So um, again, you see at the bottom that extracurricular activity, which takes time away from each other. And the more children you have, the more that can be a fact. Uh, my, my husband and I remarked one summer, we had four children, two boys and two girls. They were all playing soccer in the summer. So two, there was practices 
every week for all, everybody and there were games every week for everybody and a lot of times they were on the same night so he was going here taking one to practice going to the game picking one up I was doing the other and so we got into this whole rushed and the next year we said we're, we're not doing that <laughs> we're not doing that summer we need to spend some time together so the solution to all of those things is to spend more time together, obviously, and some quality time to communicate better so we learn and know about each other. And then through that, we will definitely reconnect as a family. So how do we do that? Well, I think we do it by reinstating the cornerstone of the family, and that's the simple family dinner. It used to be a mainstay. People ate dinner together. It was just what people did. Now, because of all the busyness, because of all the activities, we sometimes miss that. Uh, and so there are families who never eat a meal together, including on the weekend. Um, and I was aware of that when my children, who are all in their 30s now, the, the children on the street that were their age, we moved into a new neighborhood. So it was tons of young kids. They'd all be our backyard. We're on the kind of bend of the street. So it was the biggest. And it had two gates. So it was a great place to play. So all the kids are at our place because they could run around the house and play all these games. Um, but I would say time to go home for dinner. And before we even sat down at the table, they'd be back with a sandwich in their hand. And it was quite disturbing to me. And often when they'd stay for summer supper, they would say, I wish that we did this. They never, they never eat as a family. So it used to be a mainstay and somehow we've drifted from it. So eating together is important because as you see there, the dinner table conversation increases both children's mental and verbal abilities because you're talking because your adults talking with them because you can ask them questions and you can move things along you're increasing their uh their mental and verbal abilities which if we really are looking at them being the most successful they can be those are two things that are going to help them more than running around a field necessarily and it promotes a good communication it strengthens family bond and relationships uh, some of the best memories and you could probably mention them if we had time our family meals, things that happen that are funny, things that someone said. My kids will bring up stuff now that from back when my youngest daughter was two years old uh, and they remember, they all laugh about it. So it, it gives us that connection. Uh, it also helps uh, have a feel that they're a more cohesive unit. And why is that? Because when we're together with for a meal, hopefully daily, if we can make it, we learn about each other. We have we can chat about each other. We can say, you know, we're going to do this, or did you forget to do that? We can touch base, if you will. And that allows kids to have a sense of security. They know that we're a cohesive unit. They have a sense of the expectations. We have an opportunity to hear maybe what their challenges from the day was, what they're worried about for tomorrow. And of course, family meals build traditions. And I suspect that most of you on this call has some real good family traditions around the holidays, uh, Thanksgiving, uh, Christmas, Easter, uh, birthdays. Um, but we can also build traditions just around the regular family uh, meal where we sit and eat uh, daily, hopefully. So family meal takes, as you've seen, a commitment. And Experts say we should share a meal together every day. In fact, a one uh, conference speaker that I heard talk who had studied this exclusively for many years was so committed to what the family table brought to kids that as his kids got older, he said his first son went to high school and then started getting busy. He played some sports. He was in some club at school, wanted to spend time with his friends. 
was getting a job. So he was never home for family dinner, which was supper time. Uh, and so he said to his son, you know, we've got to set a time in our household. You, we could have eaten between four and seven, depending on everybody's schedule. So the mealtime was moving, but this kid was never showing up. So his dad said to him, well, he said, I've got a great idea then because it's so important. We'll have lunch together while I'm at school. Well, I'll come to your school. Oh, you won't come to school. So the next day, dad showed up at lunch in the cafeteria to have lunch with his son. And guess what? After that, his son found a way to three times a week be at home for dinner. So sometimes we can get what we want uh, by not appearing to be too dogmatic, but doing it in, in another way. So we want to strive for at least one quality meal designed to bring the family together. So this kind of meal that I'm talking about where we're doing a little more, we might not have time to do it every day, but at least once a day. But we should strive as often as we can on the other six days to either share breakfast or lunch or dinner. Uh, and if you really can't do that, can we share a snack where we sit around the table and have a little snack uh, that's a healthy snack uh, for the other? So, um, you know, the, the sort of question is, what could you call it? Well, I think we could call it family table time. Uh, because that's what it is. So we would have a name for it. You know, if Sunday dinner at our household, Sunday dinner is still the time we all gather together, then we can call it family table time because we actually do something different than just eat at family table time. You could come up with whatever name you want. This family table time is a simple and practical tool because it helps families improve communication, all those things I talked about earlier. It enables parents and kids to share what's important in their lives. And it structure in order to family life, which always helps all of us, uh, in my view, uh, and make sure these things happen. It also creates positive family memories, as I've already mentioned, and it encourages families to value mealtime again. And older children, if you begin this process and haven't done it, they might go, oh, now what are you doing? You've been to another talk, you know, <laughs> but once you get into it, uh, they actually enjoy it and they will actually uh, encourage you because they feel connected and they feel that they're valued and they feel that we're they're being heard when we do something constructive. So I'm going to just sort of briefly look at these four pieces. So of what family table time process could look like, uh, conducting a family meeting, developing a family mission, creating a family table time tablecloth. And then uh, make your family healthier and uh, stronger because of it. So, again, I'm, I'm only going to touch on them briefly, but uh, you'll you'll get enough. And then I think Dorothy will post this. So um, when she does post it, you'll be able to take some of the points uh, if you would like uh, from watching it again and pausing it if there's something that you you like. So, just before we get into those pieces, uh, again, is it worth it? A national survey. Um, show strong families have six things in common. They appreciate each other. So they compliment each other. They make appreciation. Uh, they feel appreciated and they feel good about themselves and others. They deal with crisis in a positive manner. So they serve as strength to each other during times of adversity. They don't get down on each other. They say, how are we going to solve this together? They can sit down at the table and quickly jump into a discussion because it's something that they're used to. Third, they can spend time together. Uh, so they structure their schedules so they can spend time together instead of realizing that so much time has gone by before we've really had any quality time because we weren't structuring it. 
they have a strong commitment to families. They invest time and energy in each other because families are number one priority. And for younger children and teens, we always underestimate this. We somehow think the teens are past it. This is vital that we are committed, that we're willing to see family as a priority. And in a day and age when many people have to work and many people have many other commitments, helping our children see that regardless of everything else that goes on, you're still the priority. Uh, this is one way uh, that can help you feel good. And family mealtime is a way to do that. Again, you see the communication patterns, which twice I've mentioned now, uh, are improved and picked up on uh, when we have family mealtime. And then they have a high degree of spiritual orientation, a spiritual lifestyle. So it makes them forgiving, respectful, patient, and positive. And they get that when they're engaged in prayer at the table, attending mass together, doing um, some social uh, um, community work as a family. Uh, so that spiritual orientation then brings these other pieces in because we remind them that it's part of our faith, that we are a forgiving people, that we are to have mercy, that we love, that being caring for others is being respectful, et cetera. So these are not from the family mealtime. This is a national study that was done, but they all match up with the benefits that are seen from family mealtime. So I wanted to raise them for you. So family uh, table time can provide for all of those things. And that becomes the essential piece. How can I get those qualities to my family? Because we all want our families to be happy and healthy and strong families, as you uh, read from St. John Paul, breed strong nations, build strong worlds. So uh, we have purpose. So we can do it by having a family meal daily, if possible. I've already mentioned the research is clear on it. Uh, and if it's not, uh, possible to do it daily, make a commitment to at least once a week. What is the day we can all make it? If you're in a family where people work shifts, et cetera, et cetera, that might have to rotate on a weekly basis. So we have to have the schedule that says, what day are we doing it this week? And everybody has to be committed to it. With very young children, it's okay because you commit for them. But as kids get older, we want them to be committed as well. So if they're working, let's find the day that you don't have to work, you don't have a basketball practice or whatever they're doing. Uh, and if it can't be uh, a meal, a, a dinner, maybe we're all gonna get up early one morning and we can have breakfast together so that we can share that. So uh, what's important in the whole process, again, be sure to include grace before meals so that we make God part of our family. Uh, and we make our children understand that we are always uh, living and breathing with the faith at the forefront uh, for our children, uh, because uh, we know that people of faith have a certain deep sense of joy within them. It doesn't mean life is turbulent. It just means that they can be secure in those moments that life will get better. Uh, and that's what joy, in a sense, really is. It allows us to have that sense of peace that things will be good. So let's look at the four pieces sort of fairly quickly here to what to do at the family table. The number one thing I mentioned in that list is conduct a family meeting. So what does that look like? Well, you're not going to do it every meal because it takes some time. But if you are getting together for a meal every night, at least once a week, and if you're only getting together once a week because of schedules, then it would be at that time. So you don't want to have a 10 minute meal. You want to have a bit of time where you can eat, you can relax, you can talk. So some points for a family meeting would to stick to an organized agenda. Uh, my sister is a great one. We meet for lunch now and then. 
and she's a great talker and you might suspect I'm a great talker. So when we get together, we can forget what we actually wanted to talk about because we get to talk about everything. So she always comes with a little agenda. The first time she did it, I laughed my head off, but we actually talked about the things we wanted to talk about and then the other stuff. So uh, even with a, in a family setting, having an organized agenda, what is it we're gonna do? And then we have to be sure we include everyone, even little ones who may not seem to know what's going on, but in fact, uh, are much more astute than we, uh, we uh, give them credit for. So examples of, of what we might do at that meeting, well, we might have compliments and affirmation at time, you know, so we're gonna have a time, a few minutes where we each compliment the other or we each take a turn complimenting somebody. We're gonna have a family discussion topic, a few of those I'm gonna show you. We're gonna have a value or principle of the week that we talk about. I'll give you some examples just so they're in your head. Uh, and maybe talk about upcoming activities, what's coming, uh, how can we make sure that everybody knows what's on the schedule. Uh, and then this family tablecloth, which I'm going to talk about, uh, again, all of these just a little bit more. Uh, but the bottom one is an interesting one that I'll just share now. Uh, um, this idea comes from, the, from uh, uh, the, the group that studied family tables, but my sister-in-law, they used to have a cottage where all of us went for all the years that my children were growing up on Thanksgiving. Um, it was a uh, um, very big cottage and we would spread all, put every table together so that we could all sit at this long, long meal. There were, I mentioned already five, I have five ch children in my family. So four siblings and myself with their spouses, that was 10. My mom and dad was 12 and then the 15 grandchildren. So it was a big table. Uh, and even as they got bigger and started to marry, uh, until we got bursting, couldn't all meet, we continued to go to the cottage. And my sister-in-law had this idea of buying, the, she bought a, a, a polyester tablecloth that one went the whole table. So it was not pieces of, you know, every table had a different tablecloth, but one long one. And she bought um, markers that were permanent markers. And every Thanksgiving, Wherever you sat, you signed something. You said something about the weekend or something you were grateful for or something special that had happened. Uh, and, you know, at first, I think we all were like, hmm. but over the years, that tablecloth became so important. The kids would look back and they would see my daughter the first year they got the tablecloth. All my daughter, her name is Catherine. She could only write C A. And that was her name. And the next year, she had C A T H. So of course they were all teasing her because she still couldn't spell her name a year later, but she was little. Uh, and eventually then she has Catherine and then you see their writing get better and you see the points they're making better. And it's a beautiful memory. It still is a beautiful memory. You have to make sure it's permanent marker though, because you're eating on it, you have to wash it. And if everything disappears, people are not happy. Uh, so, but if it's a family table, this could be a memento. You could have it on your table for a week or two or once a year. Uh, and everything can be written on it from the once a week that you decide to do this. So a little, um, a little memento that you're building also allows kids to look back at the end of the year and see some of the things that were important in their life. It's a little less than a journal uh, for sure, but it has the same uh, impact. So having a family discussion topic, what might that look like? So these are just some examples on a family discussion topic. Um, so we would say it's on the agenda this week. We're going to look at what did we do well as a family this week? What could we improve as a family? Did we all do our best for each other this week? Did we follow our commitments this week? 
These are just examples. You could come up with many. So we want it to be a discussion. And the rules at the table are no one's put down, no one's beat up. This is just a discussion that everybody could have. People share their thoughts and their feelings about whatever the family discussion topic is. For values, there's so many values. So when I give this talk, I usually ask people, you know, what are some values that we would teach and people often can't come up with values, but values are things that are so important to us that they become part of our living, part of our life, if you will. But many times kids can't identify them. So imagine if we took one value, you're seeing a list, I have more coming up. One of these values is what does it mean to be resilient? How do you think you'd be resilient? This is important that it's not a lecture by the parents. This is an input by everybody. So they might say, I don't know. And you might say, well, sometimes people use resilience or people are resilient when something bad happens and they manage to be able to get through it uh, without it really crushing them. So what do you think resilience might be? And you lead the conversation and they come to it. What is understanding, reverence, patience, service, compassion? These are all words that I venture to say many of you, uh, I think I was the same until I went to be trained on this, I'm sure that I was teaching to my children, but I never identified it. I never asked them what it meant. I never asked them, how would we live it? What good would it be in your life to have this value? And how would you live this value out yourself? Uh, and so more just here, uh, you know, justice, friendship, uh, that's a big one. All kids have friends. It's so important to them to have friends. But what does friendship mean? What does it look like? When do we know friendship is good for us? When might it not be so good for us? Again, no input is wrong. We're just sharing at the table. And it's not a lecture, nor it's not a teaching, although partially moment. It's a sharing moment about what people know about generosity, what they know about loyalty, how they see being loyal is, and those kinds of things. So, um, you know, even family time being a value, is it the biggest one on the list or is it part of the list? Uh, and that becomes uh, so important. Here's some others that become so important. Love, self-restraint, responsibility, humor, respect, confidence, courage. But we might even add faith to the list. Uh, you know, what does faith mean? What does it mean to believe in God? Uh, how can that help us? How could it help others? How could we pass that on to others? So there's so many values. There's a little list there. And then for the next piece, so we have the family meeting. We have a value that we might talk about. And we might spend a little bit of each of these each week in our family table time, or we might do one one week and one the next, depending on how long we wanted to spend. But then we have a list of activities for the upcoming week. So we, we, we take that moment at the end of our agenda. First, we've talked about a, a family discussion topic. Now we talk about one value. What does it mean? Where do we go with it? And you can let each person decide on the discussion topic. So one person has a turn this week for that. The next person has the turn to pick the value. Uh, now someone else's job is to make sure they report on what's coming up in the family this week. And they can find out before the meal time. They can go to each family member and say, is there something big coming up this week? Do you have a play? Do you have something that's going on? So we touch base about what's going to happen. We decide on when the family meal time can be in the following week, table time, because of the activities. And then we list activities on a calendar, or maybe we have a special bulletin board. So we make sure that we list the important things for the family. And on that is the date and time of our family meal time for the upcoming week. And then, as I mentioned, this tablecloth, 
we might buy a large tablecloth, make sure it's washable, make sure we use permanent marker, colored markers or pens. Uh, and then we have everyone write once a week, not a novel, a small little thing. They might date it, write their name. So if they were doing it tonight, October 28th, 221. Uh, today, I gave a talk on family table time, Teresa. Uh, and as time goes on, we go back and as I said, look at it and talk about that occasion. Uh, we might have something special at Christmas, or maybe we have other people at our table at Christmas, or maybe we have a special Christmas tablecloth and a special Thanksgiving tablecloth like we did uh, for the cottage. So we have different tablecloths uh, for different occasions, and they really do become uh, mementos and important ones at that. So when you pull it all together, you can create, in a sense, a family mission statement. So we talk about those things, and then we say as a family, what is our statement? How does this fall into our family mission statement? This may seem odd to you, but we know that children who understand the model and the value that the family has and gives are more likely to be able to live that out in their lives. So a family mission statement connects us. Why does every company have a logo? Why is it important for, as, as you heard Dorothy say, three words, Catholic Moms Group. She wants that in your head. So it's Catholic Mums Group is the name of the organization, catholicmumsgroup.com. It's a logo. It's, it's in a sense, a mission statement. If it was just a mom's group and the Catholic would be removed, it would completely change the dynamic of what's being accomplished. So, you know, who is your family? What will they live by? What will they stand for? And we involve the whole family and maybe we post the mission statement once we have it before we have our family mealtime each week. Or maybe we post it in the house so that people see it all the time as they're leaving to go out the front door in the bathroom, maybe where we know everyone attends at some point. Uh, so your family mission statement, in a sense, keeps you focused on who you are both inside the family and when you're outside the home. And that's why it's an important mission, a concept that we all understand and we all know who we are. So how do you make your family mission statement? Well, uh, first of all, it's a statement of why your family exists. So your vision. So you sit down with your family and you talk about what is it important about our family? What do we want to accomplish as a family? Who are we as a family? It's an opportunity for growth as a family because we're putting something together as a unit. Uh, it has to be realistic and it has to be achievable. So by growth, it may mean that you decide maybe we we haven't been as faithful as we could be. So part of our mission statement is that we are a Catholic family who, and so we're going to grow more in our faith. We'll decide we're going to say the rosary once a week or once a day. We're going to make sure we attend mass, et cetera, et cetera. So, but if it's not realistic, it's not going to be achievable. So to say that we're going to say five decades of the rosary every single day might not be a realistic, depending on everybody's life and where you are. Uh, so if it's not realistic and achievable, we fail, we stop looking at it. We want it to be something that's short and sweet and, and if you will, uh, achievable. So some examples, uh, just, just to give you sort of a sense of that, is uh, living, loving, laughing. That's what our family is. Honoring God through loving service to each other. Treating each other with love and respect, both within and outside the family. Because when I respect and love you, when I'm away from the family, I'm going to make sure I don't do things that are going to make you feel bad when I come home or when I get into trouble for what I'm doing. Treating each other the way we want to be treated. So again, 
this is why you would start off with discussions and then the values and then eventually say, let's try to come up with a family mission, who we are, what we want to accomplish as a family. And then we post it and it becomes something hopefully that we live by. Some tips for creating that mission statement is make sure that everyone in the family decides on the family mission statement. If, if the kids aren't uh, giving input, you need to ask more questions. As someone who has facilitated the creation of mission statements for various schools and other communities and uh, church groups, um, I understand my job as a facilitator is just to keep talking until people come up with things. So, well, who do we serve? That's the first one. What are the things we do? We just put a whole bunch of stuff on paper and then start to pull it together and shorten it and shorten it and shorten it. So you're not going to instantly come up with your statement. You're just going to start exploring who are we? What is it we like to do? What do we want to do with each other? How could we support each other? Write it all down and say, okay, how do we shrink this? So you won't achieve your mission statement. It's not something everybody wants to work towards because if someone is disconnected from it, they're not going to engage in it once you have it. So we really do want the whole family to participate. And so we do that by asking questions. It should be a statement that helps to explain again, why your family exists the vision of the sort of family you want to become or you believe that you are, uh, provide an opportunity for growth. Uh, as you saw, some of those statements made sure that people would keep working towards doing those things. And again, I'm reiterating, be realistic. Uh, don't make your statement too grand or you'll never feel like you're making any progress. Try to make it measurable so that your family can see steps. When we have a family discussion, if one of it is to be kinder to each other, uh, then we could ask at the family discussion, have we been kinder this week? Did you see moments of kindness? Did you see moments of goodness? Have we served outside of the home if that's uh, one of the things we're doing? So we wanna make it inspirational and uh, we want to gain involvement by everybody. So a family mission statement will probably be a major topic for a few weeks in early family meetings. Uh, it can be created in either sentence or picture form. Uh, and it's good, again, to write the family mission statement in present tense. This makes it a reality, not a future goal. It's something that we're doing. Uh, and so, again, you can write it, set it in the middle of the table, even frame it, put it on a wall. I know that some people have. So just a few examples of, you know, family mission statements that might help you make one. The start of it is our family dream is what? My greatest wish for my family is blah. My purpose of my family is the way I describe my family is you would get each person to answer that and then unify them all to come up. So a few more. I'm grateful for. I'm happy when our family provides to others by our family likes to other families we admire are we admire them because my responsibilities as a family are our family heroes are we like them because you can see already that this would generate some thought which would allow you then to come together uh, and use these statements uh, that we've written about or talked about to gather all that information together and pare it down to a very brief one uh, for your family uh, because we do want our families to be remembered. So values that are important to your family uh, become uh, an important piece. So when you're having your meetings very briefly, important to choose a leader and everyone, no matter how young, should get to be the leader. It's good to have some symbolic thing that's the talking torch. Let the person who's the lead that week, who's the chair of the meeting, choose. It doesn't have to be something that's the same every week. 
and they, the person who was holding it at the moment gets to speak and no one gets to interrupt and say, oh, that's not true or anything else. Uh, and so the chair makes sure of that. Set the time and day we've talked about, very important. So we know that these kinds of things will make your family happier and stronger. We know that there's benefits to children. We've talked about, here's what the research shows. They thrive physically, emotionally, socially, and intellectually. Isn't that what every parent wants? It's important for them to feel connected to their parents so that sense of belonging is there. They're more likely to come and talk to you when there's issues because they have that bond with you. Uh, and so they have an easier time coming to you. Uh, and as you see there, they do better in school, they respect authority, and they tend not to experiment with drugs, alcohol, and sex because they have this connected, committed family. So you start communicating better with your family and they're more willing to share as teams. Why do all this? Because children need to hear our voices. So many other people are talking to them. And so every person who is in touch with your child is present, is influencing them, is challenging them, is trying to draw them potentially away from you. So those who have the most contact at the most influential time in that development will have the biggest impact. If you want to be that one, that person who has the biggest impact, family meal time really allows you to do that because it's a structured way of connecting uh, as children. So the question is, will you connect to family? This is my family. We've since added two grandchildren, uh, but it's beautiful to spend time together. This was a trip we had to Florida a few years ago. Uh, and uh, those memories are beautiful. Family mealtime memories are beautiful and they really do empower us as a family and connect us as a family. So uh, there's my contact information. If anybody wants to reach out, uh, I'd be happy to hear from you. And I don't know if we have some time for questions. I'm sorry, Dorothy, I always talk too much. If we do, I'm happy to take them. Yeah, no, that was uh, one of the one of the reasons, Teresa, I'll tell you, is that, you know, that we love, love, love having you is because there's just so much meat on the bone, you know, like oh. just an incredible amount. Of what are you trying to say? <laughs> I, no, I mean, content. I mean, content. <laughs> Listen, I got it too. You know, I did, I did. Um, anyway, um, so thank you very, very much for, for that. Just, just to reiterate a couple of things. Um, I know that, you know, I grew up, I was born in Poland and I grew up in a Polish immigrant family. And if I ever came home and I said to my mom, oh, mom, I want to join volleyball. And then she'd say, well, what time is it? And then she goes, well, that interrupts dinner. She goes, no. <laughs> like her, her, her priority was the family dinner, right? Like if, if I could be home for dinner, yes, I could. But if I couldn't be home for dinner, the answer was no. And it was like, every every day at six o'clock she served a hot meal and you know there was a time she worked in a factory but she still came home and that hot meal was served at the table and everybody was expected to be there um and i know my husband and i are, are both talkers you know he's got three master's degrees and when our kids would sit around the kitchen table he said like you're not going anywhere until you talk to me like <laughs> he won't take no as, as an answer um and and the last thing i wanted to mention was i don't know where i attended a talk on writing a family mission statement but i attended a talk similar to this and so 
Um, we do have a family mission statement that's sort of at the front of a just a quite a beautiful scrapbook that I created. And um, a couple of years ago, we celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. And my son and daughter wrote this really beautiful card. And it was like, you know, thank you very much for, you know, ringette and baseball. And thanks for sending us on retreats. And thanks for all these trips. Like it was a, it was quite a detailed thank you. And it kind of hit me when I was reading that thank you card. It was like, I'm like, those are all the things that I put in that mission statement. Right? And yes. It, yeah. it gave me goosebumps because it kind of it, it kind of reminded me so much the importance of you know casting the vision so that you're walking in that vision and I'm so grateful for whoever that speaker was <laughs> that motivates yes. me because now I look back on our family life um and, and, you know, that that mission statement really, really, uh, it, it helps you make decisions, too. Well, it, it guides you. Exactly. I did notice in the chat, sorry, because uh, the no, chat's no, no, not no. up when I was speaking, that a couple of people asked about potentially getting some of the slides. I, as I said, I, I you're going to list this, but if people did want to email me for, you know, a list of the values, those things that were on the slides, I'm happy to send those uh, to anyone who can contact me or if you prefer, Dorothy, I could send you uh, the list in a word and then you could send it out to people at, at whatever works. Whatever you're, yeah, whatever you're comfortable with. And again, remember that, you know, Teresa is a professional speaker. So if you'd like her to come to your parish or if you'd like her to uh, give a talk, like, you know, you've got a, her contact information and um you know she speaks at conferences and we're just very 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 blessed to have her so um anyway so thank you thank you thank you uh okay people want to ask a few questions um i you know i guess we might have time for one or two quick questions but uh, <laughs> uh if you if you've got uh a question quickly here. Is there anything um, here? Okay, one new message. Wonderful, meaningful presentation. Thank you, Teresa. Uh, another thing I want to leave you, I want to leave all of you with uh, this thought is uh, a very dear friend of mine has a, her mom is still alive and her mom is, I think, 96 now. She's like one of those Italian nonnas that still lives on her own in a bungalow. And for the last, ever since I've known her, ever since I've known her, every single Thursday and every single Sunday, she expects all of her kids and their husbands and their grandkids to come to nonnas on Thursdays and Sundays. She says, if you come to my house, you don't have to cook because I made a good lasagna. If you come to my house, you see your brothers and sisters and all your cousins. And this, her name is Teresa Luca. And she, like, she has been such a source of inspiration to me because I'm like, that's the kind of grandmother I would like to be, right? Well, I will tell you this. I, I will tell you this in today's world. And I love that. I wish I could be that Nona, but I'm also cognizant of the fact that we have to be careful 
when we are sort of demanding and that that's two nights a week and yes, you don't have to cook, but everybody has to get there. And two things I'd like to say, the great big family gathering, love it, love my grandchildren to be together, but we need that in intimate family time as well. That's one thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the second is when a child says it's too much, we can't do it. We don't want to set up a barrier. So we have to offer yeah. the invite. It's always, always welcome to come, but can you at least come every, you know, twice a month or whatever? I see a question here asking about manners. I want to answer that question. If you don't mind uh, how much effort should be put on manners. I think we have to be aware that children, little children can't spend a lot of time at the table. So, you know, from three down, uh, we can um, engage with them and talk to them, but we shouldn't look at having long family discussions and those kinds of things. Uh, Manners in terms of please, thank you, not throwing their food, asking if they can get away from the table. They're all essential because that young age sets a base for how they're gonna be in the future. If your children don't manage themselves at home, you'll never be able to take them to a restaurant or somewhere else. And um, I think we should, as parents, uh, demand a degree of of respect and of manners at the table. Uh, But we have to also understand that we can expect them to go beyond their age limit. You know, a two-year-old, you should never give them more time out than their age. So two minutes is a long, long time for a two-year-old. So to ask them to sit at the table for an hour is a long, long time. So you might ask them to come to the table, uh, share the meal. And then if you have older children who you're talking with, you'll let the younger one either bring a toy to the table or leave and come back for dessert or whatever it is you're doing. Uh, But as they get older by four and five and beyond, we we can tell them there's an expectation that they'll, as you said, your husband said, you're you're not leaving until you talk to me, uh, that they spend some time at the table. Again, we're still not talking hours, but there's a, there should be an expectation. It takes them five minutes to eat. We want at least a half an hour at the table, you know? So uh, we want to be sure that we, there's an expectation, but if from the time they're little, the please, the thank you, can I leave the table become part of their vocabulary. Then by the time they're four and five, when they ask, can I leave the table? No, no, we're sharing. We're not ready to leave yet. That won't be a surprise to them. But if they've just been coming and going whenever they want, and now suddenly I'm confining you, your challenges are, are much uh, more real. Yeah, and the other thing too is that when you have that family meal, they're also learning to serve the family because one person has to set the table, another person has to uh, clean off the table. So there's also the the function of helping and serving the, the family. Um, uh, Judith, you're, you've got a very good point here. My Jewish friends host weekly Sabbath meal on Friday evenings. All of their children and grandchildren attend. No one would ever think of skipping this unless they're out of town. They've grown up with this expectation. Why, as Catholics, do we expect less? Well, we shouldn't. We shouldn't. But the you've the the bottom the last question you asked is, or sorry, just before your question they've grown up with this expectation. So if it's part of your family culture, known as as part of the culture, you've always gone, everybody goes, it's, you know, then it's a different kind of expectation. And in a sense, you should expect that. This is what our family does. You're part of the family. But some families start to, I know families that have tried to implement this after they've heard a talk about this family table, and they get pushback from their kids, because it's not a norm. It's not a 
tradition, now they feel that there's control happening. So we want to wade into the waters always gently. We don't want it to cause hostility. So if it's been a tradition, an expectation, you did it with your parents, now they're coming to your home, uh, that's a different conversation to ask them, you know, this is so important. It, it makes us connected as a family. Uh, why is it that you, you know, are feeling you don't want to attend? I, I agree. But I'm saying if you're beginning your tradition, you have to be careful about the expectation uh, because when you start to push against other another adult's expectation, the adult can leave. And I can tell you, I talk to more families now here where their children and grandchildren are out of their lives. I'm always worried about that. So I don't want anybody to start pushing too hard. Different if it's tradition, as you're talking about there, and a, and a, um, a norm within the family dynamic for generations, you might say. Yeah, and, and so I think what Teresa is saying is like to start gently, start small, and then build on that. Because if people experience some of the benefits of it, um, and, you know, putting on a beautiful tablecloth, like anyone that knows me knows that I, you know, I absolutely love different napkins and flowers on the table. And what can you do to make it visually appealing? My, my sister was a graduate in home economics from Ryerson. So visual appeal was always really, really huge. Um, anyway, I, I wanted to take this minute or moment to, to thank uh, Teresa for, for joining us. A very, very comprehensive uh, presentation. I, I also just wanted to mention uh, to those of you that are still here, uh, we're thinking of doing a little tiny, tiny, um, uh, just a very tiny uh, fundraiser. And we're thinking of creating um, just maybe 10 or 15 uh, Advent boxes. And uh, in that box, there would be just a couple of things, but it would be a fundraiser. So, you know, um, we've created a, a Midday Moms mug. And we also... I love that mug. I'm a contributor to the new uh, prayer book. So we're thinking of, um, you know, putting these two together and maybe a, some teas or something. Um, and, and, and kind of, I guess, selling 10 or 12 of them um, just as a fundraiser. So, you know, let me know if you like the idea. We're looking for creative ways. I'm, I really would like to hire someone to help me even for a month or something. Uh, but uh, anyway, if you like that idea, let me know. Um, but in the meantime, I want to give again, Teresa, a big, big warm thank you. Uh, you never fail to dis you never like fail to make it so powerful and meaningful and you speak with such clarity so uh, thank you so much and uh, hopefully we can have you back again soon and uh, thank you each and every one of you for joining us at midday moms and don't forget three words catholicmomsgroup.com um Please consider starting a, a mother's group at your parish. We find that a local mom in her parish can make a dramatic impact at her parish um, because many moms, they, they don't recognize how important their role is. And you can help the moms at your parish recognize, you know, how important it is and and so anyway let's talk about it some more please start a mom's group at your parish thank you teresa and we'll thank see you. you next week everyone okay bye thank you, thank you very bye -bye. much thank you bye-bye